1900, Pentecostalism was a small, humble movement. By 2000, by the year 2000, it was 400 million. And they estimate that by 2050, Pentecostalism will have reached the one billion mark. One billion. How do they do that? Well, during the 40 days between Easter and his ascension, Jesus spent time with his disciples, equipping them, preparing them to become the leaders of his church. On the very last day, he gives them some very important instructions. He says, don't leave Jerusalem. I want you to wait for the gift that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he goes on, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria to the ends of the earth. Well, 10 days later, it's the Jewish feast of Pentecost, also called the Festival of Weeks. It was the second of three major Jewish festivals and it commemorates uh, the, uh, uh, the first fruits when they were harvested and and brought to the temple. And it also celebrated the giving of, of the Torah on Mount Sinai, the, the first five books given to Moses. And so there have been Jews from all over the empire um, in Jerusalem. And just as Jesus had instructed them, the disciples, they're in Jerusalem as well. They're gathered in this house. And suddenly, Luke tells us in the book of Acts, that there was a sound like a violent blowing wind, and, and it filled the house and tongues of fire came upon them and it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages and other tongues. And a crowd of people see what's going on and, and they are amazed. They hear the disciples praising God in their own native languages and they are perplexed. I bet they were. Peter stands up. He says, listen, this is the fulfillment of what the prophet Joel said would happen. That in the last days I will pour out my Holy Spirit on all people. And so the Holy Spirit is no longer just for a few people like prophets or priests or, or kings. But for everybody who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus. The third member of the Trinity. God, the Holy Spirit, taking up residence in his people. The Bible tells us that 3,000 people came to faith in, in Christ that day, and the church begins. And, and this frightened band of Jesus' followers that began taking the gospel out of Jerusalem, and then to Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the end of the earth. Doubting Thomas goes to Persia and India. Andrew goes to Scythia and Greece. Philip to Phrygia and Syria. Peter to, to Rome, and, and, and Paul to Turkey, Greece and Rome, and perhaps even as far as Spain. And miracles and signs and wonders are taking place, folks. If you've never read through the book of Acts, you need to do it. It is incredible. And by the time that John, the last of the disciples, dies, around 180, the gospel has literally spread through most of the Roman Empire. Now remember, Jesus said the power to take the gospel to the ends of the earth was going to be provided by him. The Holy Spirit was going to do this. And that is why they were to wait. Empowerment 
uh, for ministry was not to come from our own human techniques, not from our own intelligence, not from our own ingenuity, but it was to come from this endowment from on high, God in us. And so on this Pentecost Sunday, I want us to, to talk about how the church can be renewed by uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, believe it or not, not everybody believes exactly the same on this. And we all agree on the importance of, of receiving the Holy Spirit, but, but some believe that you receive the Holy Spirit when you're baptized. You are baptized and you are filled with the Holy Spirit. We pray for that. Every time we baptize somebody, then we also pray they'll receive the Holy Spirit. Others believe that it happens at the time of your conversion. Uh, most Methodists would agree with, with this, and, and that was my experience as well. And, and the evidence that you're filled with the Holy Spirit would be the fruit of the Spirit. Well, Paul talks about, you know, the peace, love, joy, um, those kinds of things. Now, if you come from a more Pentecostal background, you, you believe that the Holy Spirit, uh, rece you receive the Holy Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit sometime after your conversion. And then the evidence of it would be the gifts of the Spirit, like wisdom, knowledge, faith, uh, healing, and especially, they would affirm, uh, the gift of tongues. Well, as we do a quick study through the book of Acts, we'll, we'll, we'll see that there's really not a, a, a specific pattern. For example, in, in Acts uh, chapter 2, the crowd assembled to hear Peter's sermon. They say, what shall we do? We want the same thing that you have. And Peter says, repent and be baptized. He's talking about water baptism here. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Conversion, water baptism, Holy Spirit, baptized with the Holy Spirit. Fast forward to, uh, to Acts chapter 8. Philip the Evangelist goes to Samaria, preaches the gospel. There's a great revival breaks out. Uh, the leaders in Jerusalem uh, hear about it, so they send John and Peter, the big guns, and when they arrive, they, they pray for these new believers. They, they pray to receive the Holy Spirit and, and because Luke says it had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the, in the name of the Lord Jesus. So conversion, uh, water baptism, and then sometime later, a uh, Holy Spirit baptism. In chapter 9, it happens in a slightly different way to the Apostle Paul. Uh, he's converted, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he is water baptized. In Acts chapter 10, uh, Peter is sharing the gospel with a Gentile uh, named Cornelius. And they are converted, they receive the Holy Spirit. Then water baptized. So they, they got ahead of themselves. They, they go right to the Holy Spirit and then they get water baptism later on. In Acts chapter 19, it's really different. It's kind of a head scratcher. The Apostle Paul comes to Ephesus. He found some professed disciples there and he asked them the question Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, I'm not sure exactly why he asked that question, but he sees something in there that he, something's not all together. Something's not all right. And they're like, Holy Spirit? We've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. What's that? Paul says, okay, so what were you baptized into? Well, we received John's baptism. Oh, so he says, here's, he sits him down, tells him the right way. Here's Christian baptism in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then he prays for them and they receive uh, the Holy Spirit. For whatever reason, these disciples missed out on some important teaching about baptism and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I find that true today in the church, that, that it's easy for us to understand God the Father, and we don't seem to have any trouble understanding God the Son, but God the Holy Spirit is kind of this mystery, this 
this ghostly kind of creature. It's confusing. And sometimes that confusion causes us to miss out on, on what God wants to do in our lives. You see, in each of these stories, it, it happens differently. And so it doesn't seem that there's this exact pattern for how it's supposed to happen. Whatever man tries to say, this is the way it has to happen, God oftentimes kind of goes around that. The important thing is, is that we receive the Holy Spirit. Sometime along the journey, we need that power of the Holy Spirit. Now here's what's also interesting. It's not one and done. It's not, hey, I got the Holy Spirit, now I'm good. Actually, we, we, we see other examples in Acts chapter 4. Peter's given a defense of the faith to the ruling religious leaders. In verse 8 it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. So, so Peter's about ready to give this big message, but first God just fills them again with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Peter and, the, and John head back to the other disciples. They had this big prayer meeting. Verse 31 says, And they prayed. The place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. See, they'd already received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is, a, this is kind of a, a renewal. This is a refreshing. And it says they spoke the word of God boldly. It's interesting, isn't it, that every time they received uh, this fresh influence of the Holy Spirit, they, they began to, to testify, to bear witness to what God is doing. It happens in chapter 7. Stephen is given his defense of the gospel. It happens to Paul in Acts 13. And then it happens to all the disciples again after they had been kicked out of, of, of the city of Pisidian Antioch for talking about Jesus. Verse 52 says, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That seems kind of crazy, doesn't it? Here they just got kicked out of town. Hey, good riddance, don't come back with this Jesus thing. And, and they get happy about it. <laughs> There's joy. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord's like God is saying, don't be discouraged. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about other, what other people do to you. Just know that I love you. I'm going to fill you with myself. You see, it's the Holy Spirit who gives us the power for this kind of life change that we're all looking for. It's the Holy Spirit who teaches us, who convicts us of sin. We'll talk more about that next week. Who guides us into all the truth. It's the Holy Spirit who brings forth the fruit of the Spirit into our lives and it's the Holy Spirit who manifests the gifts of the Spirit in us. His body, the church. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us power to be witnesses for Christ, even in the face of opposition. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us joy. It's the Holy Spirit who lives in us. It is God in us. That's the best definition I know for the Holy Spirit. God in us. I think it's really interesting to note both the physical and emotional impact of the Holy Spirit. I did a quick little study of it this week, and I found several really interesting examples. One of them was the dedication to the temple in Jerusalem. We find that in 1 Kings chapter 8. It says that the presence of God, that the Holy Spirit was so thick, the priests couldn't even stand up in the temple. In 1 Samuel uh, King, or King Saul is hunting David. He's trying to kill David. He's afraid that David is going to usurp the throne. And when he sees the prophet Samuel, the Holy Spirit comes upon him so powerfully that he strips off all of his clothes and he lays naked on the ground for 24 hours prophesying. Wow. God, that doesn't happen very often, aren't you? <laughs> but it did. 
On the day of Pentecost, we don't know exactly what was going on when the Holy Spirit came. But the crowd thought something was going on. Do you remember why? They thought they were, what? What did the crowd think? That we're drunk. Oh, you guys are just filled with new wine. No, we're not. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. Something was going on that made them think there was something different. In the 1800s, when the great Methodist revival was going on in the camp meetings, there would be all sorts of physical and emotional experiences. People would faint. They'd be slain in the spirit. They would, they would roll on the ground. There would be uncontrollable laughter. There was running, singing. There was even dancing in church. In a Methodist church, dancing. What was that about? <laughs> My favorite uh, thing was called the jerks. It was this spasmodic twitching of the body that would sometimes happen. And, and a lot of the critics of the Methodist revival thought it was, that it was fake. It was just put on. But Peter Cartwright, who was a Methodist circuit writer, actually preached in this part of Ohio, tells the story of these two immaculately dressed women who came into one of their revival meetings and they were kind of skeptical. They were just kind of coming in, kind of making fun of the whole thing. And, and they sat clear in the back, you know, and uh, all of a sudden, a Cartwright says, they got the jerks and, and, and they were twitching so badly that pretty soon their, their hair is totally uh, disheveled and their jewelry is just flying off of them <laughs> as this happens. And they're so embarrassed that, that they just get up and they leave the meeting. Even as they're going out the door, they're still kind of jerking. It was weird. Now, it's not to say that everyone has that kind of experience. Just that we shouldn't be surprised when God shows up. So how do we receive the Holy Spirit? How do, how do we get the Holy Spirit? Well, back to Pentecost. Peter is preaching. They say, what, what should we do? How do we, how do we get this too? And Peter says, well, he says, repent. Change your ways. Be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, then we ask. And again, Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, it says, How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So we ask. We simply ask. And then we receive it by faith. Again, Jesus says, Whatever you ask for in prayer... Believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. So we repent, we ask, and then we receive it by faith. Now, don't worry if you don't have any kind of experience that goes with that. Some do, other people don't. When, when Melinda received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, she was by herself. Very quiet uh, kind of experience. But she had, she says, she had this deep feeling of joy. Deep deep joy that she had never experienced before just come over at the age of 19 when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit mine was a little bit more emotional <laughs> a little bit more physical and it almost felt like electrical current just ran through my body that doesn't matter about that emotional physical part because we receive it by faith it's not by feelings it's not about feelings and you know when it happens now, some Pentecostal uh, groups believe that when it happens, that you will speak in tongues. That this gift is, is evidence that you receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't see that in Scripture. In 1 Corinthians 12, 
The Apostle Paul is uh, writing about the proper use of spiritual gifts, and he's making the point that not everybody has all the gifts. And he ends by saying, do all speak in tongues? And of course the answer is no, not everybody does. And then he ends in chapter, he gives a whole chapter about speaking in tongues. You'll find that in 1 Corinthians 14. And he ends by saying this, don't forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So he's saying, use the gifts the way God intended. Just don't get crazy. So what's the purpose? I see two, two reasons that we need the Holy Spirit. First of all, power for ministry. Secondly, power to be a witness. Remember, Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses. We receive power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness. You see, one of the major responsibilities of, of the Christ follower is to be a witness, is to reproduce ourselves. You see, the only hope for this world is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the only way the world will ever find out about Jesus is if you and I tell them. Think of it this way. We have, we have about 2,000 members. If each member brought one person, just one person a year, to church, and that person met Jesus, that would double our outreach to 4,000. The next year, it would double again to 8,000. In five years, that number would be 32,000. In six years, we would have reached all of Anderson Township and beyond. Now, I'm not arguing for a big church. That's not my point at all. My point is that we need to share a great message with people who need to hear it. And it's exponential. It's just one person a year. One person a year. It's not hard. Marilyn Davis, she invites people all the time to Anderson Hills. She has four of them that are coming regularly. She invited her grandson and his wife. They're coming. One of them is joining today. Whenever she's out at a restaurant, she invites the waitress. Whenever she's shopping at some store, she invites the clerk who's waiting upon her. I mean, it never stops. And, and so one day, a couple weeks ago, I said, Marilyn, why do you do this? And she said this, I, I love this church so much. And I've gained so much from it. And I want others to experience the same thing that I have found. How can I not do this? You see, if you're in love with God, excited about your church, and if you love your neighbors and your friends, then you'll want to invite them to come along with you. You see, Methodism grew because early Methodist practices from 1750 to 1850, 100 years, we went from being this tiny little movement to the largest Protestant denomination in America because our members were not bashful about inviting and sharing. You see, what keeps a lot of us being bashful it's our, simply, it's, our, it's our sense of inadequacy. We don't know what to say. And, and that's why we need the power of the Spirit-filled life. In Mark 13, Jesus says, Don't be anxious about what you're going to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, in that moment, for it's not you who speaks, but the Holy Spirit will speak through you. Yeah. See, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to, to speak through us and to trust Him for the right words in every situation. But it's not just for that. The, the Holy Spirit also gives us power for ministry. In 1 Corinthians uh, 13, or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul reminds us, he says this, 
Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So it's the Holy Spirit who is the one who gives us the gifts of the Spirit that we need to equip us to do ministry. You see, one of the goals of this church is to help each and every one of us to discover our gifts and then to learn how to deploy our gifts in serving Christ and our neighbor so that lives can be changed. One of the great saints of the last century was Henrietta Mears. She was the Christian education director. She wasn't even a pastor. She was Christian education director of Hollywood Presbyterian Church. And uh, it was 1947, and Reverend Richard Halverson was at a retreat where Dr. Mears was speaking. See, he was looking for her help. He was a defeated, frustrated, fruitless Presbyterian pastor. And he was so frustrated that he was ready to quit and leave the ministry. So after the retreat, he asked for permission to, to speak with, uh, with Henrietta. And they showed him to a room off the auditorium. And when he walked in, uh, she was there on her knees, praying with two other young men who were facing similar frustration. And Halverson says that the moment he walked in that room, that he felt the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, he felt healed of his defeat and frustration. Richard Halverson went on to become chaplain of the United States Senate. See, United Methodists believe that all the gifts of the Spirit are for today. We believe in the gifts of teaching and, and serving and encouragement and generosity and, and shepherding and evangelism and, and mercy and, and wisdom. All those gifts are, are necessary for the church if we're going to fulfill our, our, our divine calling. But we also believe that the, the more sensational gifts, the gifts of, of healing and miracles and prophecy and, 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 and speaking in tongues, while sometimes controversial, are still active and a necessity in the church today. Our founder, John Wesley, was adamant about it. In fact, he, he gave a diagnosis of why the church in his time and, and, and day didn't see the gifts. He said, this was the real cause why the extraordinary gifts of the Holy Ghost were no longer to be found in the church because the Christians were turned heathens again and had nothing but a dead form left. I don't want a dead form, do you? I want that power of the Holy Spirit as well. And we need it as much as ever. If you and I are going to be effective, if we're going to be able to share Jesus with our city and have an impact upon our town, if we're going to help people, it needs to be empowered with the Holy Spirit. We can have all sorts of wonderful programs. We can have all sorts of great ideas. But if we don't have God the Spirit in us, as Wesley said, we're just going to have this dead form left. Are you ready? You want to have that same kind of spiritual power that the early Christians had? In fact, do you know what they said about the early Christians? This is what they said. They're turning the world upside down. Wouldn't you like to turn our world upside down? In this case, it'd be right side up. <laughs> we need to be turned the right side up. We need that. We need the Holy Spirit to do that. Let's pray.
Come, Holy Spirit. Fill the hearts of your people. Kindle in us the fire of your love. Amen. Thank you.